Good morning. Today I'll be reading Exodus chapter 15, verses 11 through 18. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in the plant you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. Lord, you made for your dwelling the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Thank you, Eduardo. I'm loud too. <laughs> I'll just whisper. <laughs> Maybe that'll work. So Brad says there are 77 coming for Bible Bowl that are staying. And so if you have an extra tent or something, yeah, he's still looking for a couple more houses. I think that's about it, though. Uh, you guys have done a great job in being able to respond to that, and I know there's a lot of, of cookies that are being made and a lot of plans that are being made. He can still use a couple more people on next Saturday as we get the, the horde, I mean, our nice young people in and uh, trying to uh, help them with all of that. So if you can help, please see Brad. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about what holy means. And, and today we want to talk about holy God. And so just being able to think about what holy is. And the first, you got to start with holy God because that's that's just the beginning of everything, and everything becomes holy because of God. And what holy means is it means pure, it means devoted. It's not a, like you can have a lump of holy, so it's not a, a, a noun itself, but it's an adjective that describes something or someone or a devotion to. And so when it talks about a holy, God is talking about a God who is pure, a God who is above everything else, a God who is seen in reverence and awe. Uh, sometimes it's dedicated to a specific purpose. It's excellent. It's special. It's far above the usual. So when do we relate to a God like this? Well, the passage that has been read to us this morning talks about a holy God. And so when was it that that happened? Well, that's clear back in Exodus 15. So let me give you a little bit of background for the story about how they get to the point where they recognize this is a holy God because I don't think they had gotten there before. And so you're probably familiar with Moses. Moses is the one who is leading Israel out of Egypt and as they have been through all the plagues and been through all the difficulty, Pharaoh finally says, let them go. And so they, they start, but they just kind of wander. And so they, yes, we're going, we're starting, we're leaving, we're, 
and they didn't really have a great sense of direction. And so, but we find God's really doing that on purpose. And so he's leading them and they're going and, they're, and they run right straight into the Red Sea. Uh, at that time, the Egyptian army had decided they were coming after them. And so they're kind of trapped and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to, how to make any progress and everybody's complaining. I don't know if that sounds familiar or normal to you or not, or if you've seen any situations where there's a lot of pressure and everyone's complaining. Uh, hopefully not, but uh, they end up in that kind of situation and, and God says, go forward. And Moses stretches out his rod and they are able to go across the Red Sea. God blows the wind and it divides the waters and they march across on dry ground, staying in very tight formation. These have always, these pictures have always been amazing to me about you know, a single file, single file. It's, I don't think it was like that. I think it was bigger than that, probably miles, and you've got a huge number of people to get across. So please don't believe all the picture. But as they go across, here they are. They're able to get across. They're able to take all of their possessions with them. But now you've got an army coming up behind them. And God had separated them so they weren't able to find it. And then, sure enough, as they get to the edge of the Red Sea, they see the Israelites are going through. They plunge in. They say, we can go get them. If they can do it, we can. They drive their chariots in. But it doesn't take long before Moses stretches his rod again and the sea begins to collapse. And it is at that point that they declare, we have a holy God. It is when God has done something that is amazing. It is when God has shown them about his incredible power, his great deliverance. Egypt will never pursue them again. With the ten plagues, it has devastated the land that they had. And now the army is gone. They're never coming back again. And they will never be a threat to Israel ever again. And that's a long time. If you think about it, none of them through all of history. And so God has delivered his people from the enemy. And it is that point that they realize we have a holy God. And so this is part of the song of Moses in Exodus 15 that we read. And he says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Majestic in holiness. I like that term. Awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders. What an amazing thing this is to look at God like this. He says, Egyptians are gone forever. And it was easy for him. All he did is stretch out his arm. And he completely delivered us from our whole situation. Uh, he led the people out of steadfast love. Everyone else is afraid. And he lists four of the different nations, Philistines, Edom, Moab, and Canaan. They're all scared to death of God. And if you think about this and think about what's going on with this, it's kind of amazing to realize that, you know, here they are face to face with people who are coming 
and you realize they have a great God. And so I love the phrase that he puts in here, they are still like a stone out of fear and respect for God as these people come and as these people march by on their way to a promised land. Well, how'd they get a promised land? Well, a holy God promised them land is how they got a promised land. And so they are on the way to the place of God. He will plant them. Holy is because of what he's done. He's done away with this Egyptian army, and he has delivered Israel from slavery, and he has led them out, and he's going to feed them in the wilderness, and he's defeated their enemies, and so they have safety, and they have victory, and it's an amazing thing that has happened, and so they realize this is a God above all gods. I mean, he is huge. He is amazing. He is holy, and that's the word that they would come up with. And so what happens when we would try to introduce a holy God into our world? Well, it might be fairly similar to the Egyptians, because I'm not sure they thought God was such a great God. He, they might have thought he was absolutely unfair. And at other times, when you realize that they're talking about what happens with other nations, for example, when the Ark of the Covenant would go into battle, they would go, oh, no. This is, this is God that they're bringing with them, and they were very much afraid of God. They didn't think about, oh, well, let's go join their side. They never thought that. They never thought, well, maybe we could make peace. Maybe we could be part of them. Maybe we could accept their God. For some reason, that's never a conclusion. It's always, well, that's their God, and we should be afraid of them because their God does things. Their God is a holy God. Their God is an active God. Their God does all kinds of things to protect his people, to be with his people. And they never really thought of, oh, yeah, he's a great God for us. And I think we live in that kind of world as well. People don't relate to the fact that there is a holy God, and they don't usually accept it. They don't usually understand it. Everyone's afraid of their God, and I think that's where we fall in our world, too. Why would everybody try to ignore what is holy? Well, we don't want to think about it. We just are accepting where we are. And the song is looking back. And it's always the way in which we look back that lets us see things more clearly, isn't it? It's never when we're in the middle of it or when we're doing it. And so when they're looking back, uh, then they give, sing this song. So what would it be like without a holy God? Well, you just accept your slavery, right? That's all there is to it. Because in the original beginning, they did not want to go. They were afraid. They said, well, just leave us alone. Let us stay in Egypt. So if you look back into Exodus 14 and verse 10, I want you to realize what has happened with these people. They prayed for deliverance, and then God showed up, and they went, no, no, no. Everybody be quiet. Maybe he'll go away. Because a holy God has come to deliver us, and he's going to expect things, and he's going to 
lead us out. And so, as they were sitting on the other side of this Red Sea before they had crossed, in verse 10 of Exodus 14, it says, when Herod when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after, to, after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. That's an amazing part. Moses says, Shut up. I'm tired of your griping. But look at the whole thing and what's going on with this. Pharaoh is coming after them and their response is, let's completely abandon God. Because we don't expect anything to happen. We don't think he's going to do anything and we're very afraid. We're very afraid that the Egyptians are going to come out here and they're going to kill us. And we would have been better off, better off with what? We would have been better off as slaves. We would have been better off having all of the male children killed. We would have been, because that's where Moses grew up. We would have been better off with the intense work conditions. We would have been better off being beaten. We would have been better off being mistreated. We would have been better off in such pain and torture and hard work. And at least we wouldn't be dead. Well, that sounds really great, doesn't it? And so many times that's our way of thinking. We're afraid. And we'll accept whatever difficult, bad, horrible mistreatment in any situation because at least there's no risk. And you know why there's no risk? Because it can't get any worse. Now, if your life has come to the point where you're afraid because it can't get any worse, you need a holy God. You need to get out of that situation. That is never going to be a good situation. And that's where they have come to is this absolute fear of just leave us alone. We will suffer and suffer and suffer. And at least we won't be dead. Really? That's the kind of life you want? That's the kind of life that's acceptable. Why would we not accept deliverance from a holy God? Because we're afraid it'll cost too much. We're afraid it'll mean too much. It'll demand too much. And we don't like the unknown. We know where we are now. And so we can take it. And is that what you want for your life? Just to say... 
you know what? It doesn't ever have to get any better than this. If that's where you are, then you must have one amazing life or else you're scared. And you're afraid it might get worse. And you're just afraid of what God might do. We can't see or believe that God is holy. Moses says to them, don't be afraid. See the salvation of the Lord. He will fight for you. You just have to be quiet and watch. And there are so many times when we look at that, that God is in that place of all you have to do is be quiet and watch. I'm the one at work. If you'll be patient, you will see what a holy God you have. What amazing things it is. I saw this. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and the darkness tremble? Only a holy God. And that's the God we have. And when God loves his people and God protects his people and God leads his people and blesses his people and rescues his people, we understand everything comes from a holy God. He is the one who makes everything good because he is good. And yet so much of the time when we look at the love stories around us, they are tragic, aren't they? I mean, you watch soap operas or something like this, any kind of a movie, and man, there's got to be somebody with a major disease, and they're dying, or else they're married to this person, but they're going to sneak off with somebody else and go have an affair because we love each other, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And why do we look at that and say, oh yeah, that's a love story? That's a horrible story. And we're destroying ourselves with it because we have not understand what it would be like to be loved by a holy God and to have Him put our life together, to be under His blessing. And we'll accept that as being a real love story. That's not a real love story. There's always a teenage runaway or, you know, somebody rejected from society and drugs and homosexuality and everything else involved, and, but at least it's real. It's not real, it's tragic. And God is the one who delivers in real situations and makes real things happen. And a lot of times we will accept a fake story and call that a love story over what a real story is. We'll believe the tragic love over God's love. And I don't know why we would do that. Maybe it's just because we're afraid and we don't quite understand. Well, I ran across this story this week. A young couple in Washington State may be guilty of committing an expensive crime for pennies on the dollar. Dakota Garin, 19, has been charged with stealing a rare coin collection worth 100000 and spending the coins at face value on a movie and pizza with his girlfriend. Okay, are they rich? We're rich. We stole the coins. We've got quarters. Says the, the Colombian reports that a woman living in Woodland had her family coin collection stolen in May and says that Garen and his girlfriend, Elizabeth Massman, 
were the only people to visit her home during that period and when they had hired and that when they were hired to do some part-time work Garen denied the accusation back in May telling police he didn't they didn't have any evidence against him according to a report filed by Cowlitz County Superior Court but then Garen and Mossman allegedly began using the coins at local establishments and spending them at face value including a quarter that is estimated to be worth thousands of dollars. So the Daily News reports the collection includes a variety of rare coins such as Liberty Headquarters, Morgan Dollars, and several others dating back to the 1800s. After conducting their investigation, police now say the couple spent several 1930s coins at the Battleground Area Movie Theater using quarters worth between five and $68 each. Later on that same day, they spent more of the coin collection on a local pizza restaurant, including a Liberty Quarter that is estimated to be between $1,100 and $18,500. Garen is charged with first degree theft He's being held in jail on $40,000 bail, which technically is an amount he could easily afford if the coin collection were actually his. <laughs> it's just kind of astounding, isn't it? That you would take something and not realize the value of what you have. And I think so many times that's the way we would live, is because we don't realize the value of what God created and of how big God is and of what He intended you to have and about what the value actually is. We would rather believe the tragic story that isn't even real. And we would rather look at it from a non-holy God, just ordinary life, trying to survive the best we can, and God did not create you just to survive the best you can. He created you to be one of His children. He created you to be blessed by Him, protected by Him, to be His child and to be able to go with Him. It is a huge thing. How can we reduce what a holy God has done? And yet, I think we do it all the time. We reduce it to worship once a week. There's no great love story. There's no death and resurrection. There's no heaven or hell. There's no holiness for Him or for us, and we're afraid of the risk. And so we just say, life is normal. The greatness of a huge creator is reduced to photos of his creation, and we don't get out in it. We just want to drive by it and look out the car window. We treat God's love as if it's normal and ordinary, and an hour a week will do it. One conversation a week, right? Do we realize the riches of God and the relationship that he's given and how amazing that is? We settle for the soap opera fantasy. Instead of looking at some of the people that are here, some of the people around us. And when you look on the calendar and you look at those anniversaries, and especially around December, I don't know why there are a lot of them in December, and you realize we've got people here who have been married 
50 and 60 years, that's just kind of staggering. That's real love. How do you do that? Because the way the world tries to do it, it just doesn't last long. The way Christ does it, it lasts all the rest of your life. Could God's love and holiness be something that just goes unnoticed? Well, you have to do a lot of ignoring. And I think it really comes down to the fact that we just don't want to be face-to-face with holy God. It's got to be scary. We can't really do that, though, can we? Recognition is who He is and what He does. And we honor Him first, and we honor Him best, and we honor Him most Because what if holy is real? What if holy God is real? Can we look forward to what would happen? Can we imagine? I mean, we do a great job at imagining all the tragedy. Just ask anyone. I mean, we can see that so clearly, can't we? Well, I hope it doesn't. And what do we pray for? Well, I hope there's not a crash. Everybody's well and our prayers are mostly about the tragedy. Do you ever pray about the blessing of God, the greatness of God? Is it we'll actually be able to see that and realize that in our life, or is it just hope we don't get sick, hope we don't crash, hope we don't die, hope we can make it back here again so we can be glad we didn't get sick and crash and die? There's got to be more to it than that, doesn't there? I think we're missing the boat on a whole lot of things. And so there's one passage in Ephesians. There's so many scriptures about this. This one passage in Ephesians. Let me just run through this real quick. Paul writes about this in several different passages in Ephesians. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers and of the of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, And seated him above all at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Does that sound like normal life? That's normal with a holy God. And I think we accept the tragedy more than we do what God's really trying to show us and really trying to say to us. And so God, Paul is praying for them here for what is real, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation that God gives it to them, that he opens their eyes to be able to see and understand that they have this hope, the Riches of a glorious inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of his power, which is working in us. Goodness. 
It's the same one that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and put him at his right hand in heaven itself. And can God do that for you? Can God raise you someday and put you in heaven itself right before his throne? Is that someplace you want to be? Holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. The question is, are we? Are we filled with his glory? He has placed Jesus above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is named. Why? Because he knows a holy God. And that's the reason he's able to be there. He says Jesus is head over his church. It's head over, it's like his body. The church is the fullness, fullness of, that fills everyone in every way. And so it's amazing what God is able to do. And we come to the fullness of God. Or we just came and we tried to get through five acts of worship and then we're going to go home and try and make it next week. You've got to see this holy God who is here to do such amazing things. We are using valuable grace, right? So what do you spend this valuable grace on? What do you get for the value of the blood of Jesus that was spent as he paid the price? All some people got was pizza in the movie. Or they just got some singing in a sermon yeah, I feel bad for you if you come here and all you get is me and Michael. I mean, Michael's good, but I mean, you ought to get more than this out of it. That God is actually alive in your life and doing some things and that the fullness of the church is something that is part of you. And that we come into his body by our repentance and our baptism and his acceptance as he forgives our sin and we have this holy God who is able to do so many great things. Grace means all your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. And so what would you do this week? What could God do this week that would be amazing to you? Well, yeah, anything he wants. How about if we had a hundred kids from somewhere else just show up? And maybe our 50 or 60 kids that we've got here join them and they all get together and they all talk about the Bible and they all are in this contest about God and you have a chance to interact with them. Would that be amazing to you that you could take teenagers who today seem to be intent on so many other things and we hear so many bad reports and so much bad about them that they are coming here to be able to worship, be able to talk about God, be able to study their Bible. Do you think God could pull something like that off? Would you like to be part of that? Because we talk about how bad kids are and we're good at that. Do you want to be involved in how good kids are? Because they're going to be here this week. What can a holy God do with teens? And can you be in it?
So let me just encourage you this week, don't settle for what's average. But come back next week with a great story about this is what a holy God does. If you need to respond to this holy God today, I pray that you will, whether it's to be baptized into Christ or whether it's to come and say, I've been missing it all this time.